A man walked into a church in the middle of the day to pray, and he had many questions running through his mind about the nature of God. And since he was alone in the church, he thought he would pray out loud. So he asked, he said, God, what is a million years like to you? And to his surprise, God responded and said, a million years to me is like a minute. So the man asked a second question. He said, God, what is a million dollars like to you? And God said, like a penny. And the man asked, God, would you give me a penny? And God said, sure, in a minute. (laughs) Often, when we think about prayer, we think of it primarily in terms of asking God for something. But that's only one form of prayer. It's called a prayer of petition. And to be more specific, if you're asking for somebody else, a prayer of intercession. And the thing is that that's not the most important kind of prayer, actually. Um, And we should actually be praying in other ways, including adoration and thanksgiving much more. When the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray, he gives them the Our Father, which we pray all the time. And I believe the Our Father also reveals a certain order of priority in prayer. So when we begin to address God, first we acknowledge who God is and who God is for us. Father or Father in heaven. It's respecting God um, as Father, but also acknowledging his providential love for us. Then we praise God. Holy is your name. Then we ask for God's kingdom to come upon the earth. So we haven't asked for anything for ourselves yet, have we? then we ask for God to give us our daily bread. So there's this certain order. Now, but we do. And Jesus wants us, and our Father wants us, to ask him for things that we need, for ourselves and for others. And so, while it's not the most important form of prayer, it is still an important way of our relating to God. And it is the way that Abraham relates to God in our first reading. He makes a prayer of petition, of supplication. What is Abraham concerned about? He asks about the city of Sodom. He's not so concerned about the city of Sodom. He knows the people who live there are wicked. But his nephew, Lot, is living there with his family among the wicked. And so God begins to engage in a kind of bargaining. I mean, so Abraham, rather, begins to engage in a kind of bargaining with God. Well, God, suppose there are 50 innocent people. Will you spare the city for the sake of the 50? God says, yes. And Abraham gets him all the way down to 10 people. Apparently Abraham did not go low enough, though, because Sodom was destroyed, right? Actually, about eight years ago, there was an amazing find in biblical archaeology excavating the site where they thought Sodom and Gomorrah would be very deep in the layers about the time period when it would have been. They found sand that had been turned to glass. They sent it to a lab to be analyzed, and the people of the lab thought it might have been created by a nuclear blast. There are other ideas about perhaps a meteor had been coming down and basically exploded. So those cities were destroyed. But, remember, Abraham's love was for his nephew, and his nephew Lot was led safely with his family out of the city of Sodom. Now, have you ever thought about this? God knows... Everything, everything we're going to ask for, everything we need. We are not informing God of something when we ask for something in prayer. 
but he still wants us to do it. So why? Why is that? Well, I think part of the reason is that it changes us. When we go to God asking for God's help, it's like when little children go to their parents, and oftentimes the parents know what their children need, um, but this, this process of asking and receiving keeps, keeps us close to God, like little children who are reliant on their parents, and that's the kind of relationship we should have with God. It keeps us humble as well. When we pray for others, our praying for them increases our love for them. So it changes us from within. That's one reason. But also, God has chosen, it pleases God, to give our prayer power to change the world around us. I believe in that. I've, as a priest, I get to hear all the time about people's answered prayers. I know a, a friend of mine who miraculously survived a fiery plane wreck. I have people who are told, couples who are told by the doctors they couldn't conceive children, and I've baptized their children. Their children were the fruit of prayer. We had a, our cantor last night, three years ago. He had, was afflicted with a deadly disease, spent a year in the hospital. His prognosis to recover was next to zero, and he was singing at church last night. So I've been blessed. I've been blessed to know about many people's answered prayers. But we don't always get what we want. And we ask God for things, right? Big and small. Uh, we ask God for... Uh, uh, for health, for, for a job, for good weather, sometimes for a parking space or for our favorite team to win in a sports competition. Um, but we don't always get the things we ask for. So why is it? Well, Scripture gives at least three reasons. One, from the prophet Isaiah, he says, Your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. So, unrepented sin prevents our prayers from being answered. Okay? And so it's important, you know, if you're someone who's always asking God for things, um, when was the last time you really examined your conscience and went to confession? Yeah. Receiving the grace of His forgiveness, that repentance of heart, makes our prayers more powerful. It's clear. Holier people, and from, from all my experience, experience of the saints, holier people get more of their prayers answered. <laughs> Higher percentage, right, than others. So that's one, that's one thing to keep in mind. Number two, St. James says to us, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. So asking for something but for the wrong reason, okay, it will not be answered by God, nor should he answer those prayers. Again, suppose you're asking for a bunch of money, but you're just going to use the money for selfish purposes. Okay? And even I would go far as to say, if you ask God for health and for a long life, well, what will you use that life for? For selfish purposes? Or will you use it to glorify God and serve others? Thirdly, sometimes God doesn't answer a prayer because even though it appears good to us, even though we ask with good intention, because God knows everything more than we know, He knows that it's better for us not to get the thing we ask for, there's something better He wants to give us. I love the story of Billy and Ruth Graham. Billy Graham was a famous evangelist. Ruth was his wife. They had a long, wonderful, loving marriage. 
And she tells the story that before she met Billy, she was dating this guy she really liked, and she was praying to God fervently for weeks that this guy would propose to her, but he didn't. And then she met Billy. Much better, she said. She thanked God that he didn't answer her prayers. I want to tell you about a couple, a couple of prayers, that, things I've asked for and what happened. So um, every time I go in this church, I am reminded of an answered prayer. So I was assigned as your pastor 10 years ago. This building was not yet built. It had been planned, but not built. I was told by the bishop to get the building process back on track. I went to the parish website to see the plans, and it was much like it is now, except with one big difference. The plan that I saw on the website at the time had the church entirely in the round. So the altar was in the middle, there was a cross and, and ambo here, and a canter stand there, and, and I had attended for a little while a church designed like that, and I hated it. It was so distracting. There was no focal point. You're just kind of looking at what everyone else is doing. I don't know if, you have, share, if you've had that experience and share my views, but I had really did not like that kind of orientation of a church. And so I remember feeling really uh, downcast because here I was supposed to try to put all my efforts into getting this back on track, but I didn't like that, that in, in church in the round. And so I prayed. And first I approached the, the designer, the architect. I talked to him about it. He said, I think we can do something that's just changed it a little bit, but gives it a focus. I told him, can we have the altar, the crucifix, and the tabernacle on the same axis? He says, yeah, we can do that. So he designed it. So that was actually ends up being the easy part. And the hard part was, whenever you would change these things, it has to be approved by both the bishop and a committee that we priests, um, we call the Art and Aggravation Committee. But it's actually the Art and Architecture Committee. But sometimes it's very hard to get things approved. So I thought... I'm going to, who knows how long this is going to take, you know. So I'm at the Dawson Pastoral Center meeting with, with uh, the bishop's vicar, Monsignor Callahan, with a former deacon from here, Deacon Bob Holgren. We were talking about all of these issues at the parish before I started. And I mentioned to him that I'd like to change the design of the, of the, of the church slightly. And he said, well, you're going to have to go through that whole art and architecture process. And I was a little disappointed. I was in the parking lot talking with Deacon Bob when my phone rang, and it was the vicar, and he said, you know, I mentioned to the bishop, I just saw the bishop, I mentioned to him, and the bishop says, if you, if you have the plans with you now, he'll look at them. Now, I wasn't super hopeful because also our bishop at the time, Bishop Brom, was not approving tabernacles being in the center of the church. So I thought, you know, getting ready to make my case, make my arguments, you know, but I go in there, he looks at it, and in 10 minutes he says, approved. Just like that. And trust me, that was a miracle. And I believe God answered my prayer. Another story about something I prayed for. Uh, a few years ago, I was walking part of the Camino de Santiago. It's a walking pilgrimage in Spain that ends at a church where there are the, the relics, the bones of St. James. And... Um, I was uh, walking, uh, the, the day before my last day, I remember it was raining, and I remember praying to God, because I, I went mostly prepared, but I really didn't have good jacket to keep me, from, keep me dry in the rain. And so it's raining, and I, and I prayed, God, please let it stop raining, and you know what? It did. It stopped raining, and it was clear, and it was wonderful. I felt really good about myself. I can, I can stop the rain, right? No. <laughs> so, so the next day, it started raining, and I prayed the same with faith 
and it started raining harder. <laughs> and it rained completely harder the whole time. I was, every part of me was drenched. Everything. So God didn't give me what I asked for. He gave me something better. Part of the way through the walk, I began to feel in my heart the joy I felt when I was a child and played in the rain. And when I saw the church in the distance, the steeple, I was so happy because I said, okay, there's the end. I'll get to, get to be dry now. The greatest thing we can ask God for is for his presence in our hearts. And that's why when Jesus says, he talks about how fathers know how to give give good things for their children. This is what he said. How much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's the best thing to ask for. Jesus tells us to persevere in prayer. Be persistent. Be like that persistent neighbor. He wants us to be persistent in prayer because it does keep us humble, keeps us reliant on God and close to him. And yes, sometimes it will work miracles. He says to us, ask and you'll receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. We have the best Father who knows how to give us the best gifts.